bad podcast, bad podcast. What you gonna do? What you gonna do? Cause you can't catch up to me. I'm really fucked up today. Welcome to the Mouthpiece, episode five, year one. Today, we're gonna talk about the crushing defeat, what happened to the Vegas Golden Knights Tuesday night. We also got an amazing interview with seven-time World Series of Poker champion, Billy Baxter. We're also gonna take your phone calls coming up next on the Mouthpiece. Welcome to the Mouthpiece, uh, episode five. Um, today, um, we're going to talk about current affairs. We're going to talk about sports, hockey, the devastating loss uh, we took on Tuesday night. God, I don't know really where to start. Uh, me, along with many of you out there in the poke world, um, are pretty vested in the Golden Knights. I have not actual season tickets, but I go to many games with my friend who does. Uh, so I go to many games. I did have season tickets, but because I have no money no more, I don't have no more. But anyways, so I'm pretty vested in them. I've got as many games as I can, watch every game on TV. I became a hockey fan. It's It kind of reminds me of when I was 18 years old, they tried to make me eat sushi. And I said, I hate regular fish. Why would I ever eat raw fish? And then it took me another 16 years to eat sushi. And that's 16 years of my life I wish I had back. Well, that's kind of like the same with hockey. Um, as you all know, I was a sick de- degenerate sports better, football, basketball, baseball, whatever. I just, I watched hockey when the playoffs were coming around because I thought they were exciting to watch. But I didn't have any idea what I was watching. I didn't know any of the rules. I didn't know what offsides was. I didn't know what constituted a penalty. I didn't know shit. Well, uh, once I kind of got vested in hockey, uh, I spent the last like year and a half uh, ritually trying to study the game, study all the rules, trying to really get an idea of what makes a great hockey team. And... Um, you know, talking with many people and studying myself, it's, uh, yes, goaltending is very important, but it's what's what's played in front of you. And, you know, it's really all about the forecheck and the hits that cause the turnovers and putting the pressure on, you know, the goalies. So all you could do is play the game the right way and then hope the pucks fall. Well, you know, we go, we could go back to Sunday night. Uh, I was at the game, um, when we were up three games to two and there was a game in which we played right. I mean, we outshot them 58 to 28. The entire game was played in their offensive zone. And I did not think it, any point in that game that we were ever going to lose ever matter of fact just to give you an idea of when a team is dominating so much we looked at the line going into the first overtime in game six and they had vegas a dollar 70 that's how much they were dominating that game um san Jose then plays a great first overtime and uh 
the line was $1.40 in the second overtime. And it was just so amazing that Vegas outshot the Sharks 8-1. to one, And we turn the puck over. They get the shorthanded goal. And then the next thing we know, we're at Game 7, and which we're going to talk about. So after that game, me and my good friend Ben, we kind of sat there in disbelief. Uh, we didn't really leave the arena until the people the usher says hey you guys gotta go <laughs> so um that's when we we left and we're still hard walking out there's still thousands of people in the hallway they were all like kind of in shock and at first i said to myself how the fuck are we ever going to come back and win game seven losing a game like this is just devastating you know then i when i got home i i listened to um the interviews and i heard Derek england say um that every time he's ever played defense in the other team's offensive zone and having to stop 59 shots or whatever, that his he was twice as tired the next day than he would be from a normal game. And the fact that they only had five defensemen at San Jose instead of six, that that could factor into the game. So then I said to myself, well, if they could put game six behind him and show up in San Jose and what he says is the truth... I think we got a good shot to win. And I actually convinced myself that we were going to probably win game seven. So, you know, we, uh, you all watched it. Uh, if you didn't watch it, you really need to go back and watch it because it's like a instant classic slash blow up slash uh, meltdown slash incredible comeback to tie the game, incredible overtime. But, I'm sure most of y'all out there watched it, but um, going to the game, you know, um, the Vegas Golden Knights came out kind of undisciplined again, and they found themselves in the box uh, three times in the first eight minutes, uh, and they looked crisp. I mean, their penalty kill was awesome, but I kept saying, if you get going, get going in the box, it's going to come back to haunt you because... That's what it does. You know, bottom line is you got to forecheck, get good dole tending, and stay the fuck out of the box. But you could see right away Flurry was sharp. I mean, he'd been good the whole series, and except for maybe game one. But even as good as he was in game six, he wasn't sharp. And I knew right away he was sharp yesterday. And I texted my friend Ben I texted my brother I just said flurry is sharp we're gonna be tough to beat and uh, we were down 11 to two shots on goal all you know basically because they were on the penalty for six minutes uh, and then we we um, score a goal on the third shot uh, and now we're up one nothing takes the air out of the building and except for the fact that we were in the box the entire first period. We ended up being in the box one more time. So we are in the box for what was like one minute more of the first period, another 50 seconds in the second period. So we were in the box for uh, seven minutes of the 20 minutes, and we had a one nothing lead. So I saw that as, as a really big positive. I noticed that once we got five on five, our four checks were great. Our back checks were great. Um, the pressure, 
we were putting on them, the turnovers. It just seemed like we were two steps faster. And um, we start watching the second period, and it's so funny. I told my girlfriend, I'm like, we're about ready to score another goal. And the second I said it, I mean, it was no more than 1.5 seconds after I said it. We got the puck, and the puck went in, and we're up 2 nothing. And I... I'm not gonna lie, I said, this game's over. I mean, Fleury just looks fantastic. And then, uh, you know, that period it ends, we're up two nothing. Um, and the Sharks really never had that many chances to score uh, outside of those three power plays in the first period that Fleury was amazing. Now, he made a lot of great saves, but there wasn't that many scoring opportunities. Uh, when we got up, three nothing in the third i mean the game was over the other team was their legs looked dead from game six they had no energy they it looked like flurry was unstoppable and uh i mean that there's no way they're going to get a goal past him and they were dead and we're gonna go right on to the what changes the game now I felt the way as a lot of you who are Vegas Golden Knights fans did when we when he cross-checked him. I didn't think it was even a cross-check, but based on what the rules are, technically it is a cross-check. But if Pavelski doesn't fall over Stastny, who was racing for the puck, Pavelski would have just fallen backwards on his butt there would have been no penalty called and the game would have been over, okay? But the fact that the referees never saw the play and they see blood coming out of his mouth and Joe Thornton comes on and is yelling, that's five, that's five, that's five. And the referees had no clue what was going on. They decide to make a call based on something they never saw and they give Egan the five-minute major misconduct and yes it was an atrocity of a call but you have to get into what led to the barrage that cost us the game when Pavelski fell to the ice I was shaking for the guy and I'm not no San Jose Sharks fan I was worried the guy might have been dead I mean he hit head first. He wasn't moving. There was blood coming out of his mouth, and he, uh, he at he got he landed on his head. So blood's coming out of his mouth. He's out cold. You have to understand that Pavelski's very well liked by everybody in hockey. They know he plays the game right. He's one of the better best. He is the best player on the Sharks team. So the Golden Knights, along with the crowd, along with the Sharks people. They're watching Pavelski on the ice not moving. And the human element comes in where I don't care what side or what fan base you're on, you are going to be concerned about that man that's on the ice. So you, if you watch, you see the Vegas Golden Knights players just looking at Pavelski out cold and them getting the trainers walked in and everybody was visibly shaken. I could just know that just by how I was at home watching the game. I was visibly shaken, hoping this guy's going to be all right. 
not knowing what had happened. I hadn't seen the replay yet. Now they show the replay and it doesn't even look like a cross check at first. It looks like he just pushes him and then Staxney gets underneath him and then he flips up and lands on his head. And I didn't even think there was going to even be a penalty called. And then as I saw the second and third and fourth replay, I did see that he did take his stick and he cross-checked him to the middle of his chest. Not that hard, but enough to throw him off balance. But if you're going to call anything, you, you got to call a minor, if anything. Just like um, the announcer said after the game, I forgot his name, but he played hockey his whole life. And he says that stuff happens on the face-offs all the time. And they never even get called. And once again, if stats... Look, you have to understand what has to happen here. Both teams have to be concerned. As the human element comes in, they're concerned for the guy's safety. Now, all of a sudden, they're getting called a five-minute major when they everybody in the arena has seen the replay now like five or six times. And even the referees, they never saw the play. So what? what's the only thing they could do? They should, the only thing they, since they never saw the play, is they should be looking at a replay to see what happened because they never, you know, if you never see a play, it's kind of like a holding penalty. If you don't, if you don't see the blatant hold, the flag don't get called. You know what I'm saying? So how do you just come up with a five minute major because the guy's on the ice, you know? What happens if the guy slipped and fell on his own, right? And you're just going to call a five minute major? So, um, yeah, the call was bad, but you have to go inside the minds. Being a poker player and and knowing that many times you have big chip lead in a tournament or you're crushing a cash game, all of a sudden you take a one-outer, two-outer, and you're like, what the fuck? I mean, this, the tournament was over. I mean, now I got to work twice as hard and whatever. So I think when Vegas got back on the ice, you know, their their mindset was I hope Pavelski's okay and you know we still got this game let's just play our game and then the Sharks score eight seconds into a five minute major so now Vegas is, the player's mind is it's not three to nothing we have to kill off a five minute major it's three to one we have to kill off a five-minute major. And then they score 50 seconds later to make it 3-2. And here's where the game is lost, in my opinion. I mean, Gallant has to call a timeout. It's 3-2. to two. I mean, if you think about it, he almost ha- could, you could. You can argue he has to call a timeout when it's 3-1 to because they co- scored so fast. And he's got to get his players' emotions back together. No matter what, when it's 3-2, he's got to collect them all in a, in a circle and say, guys, forget the fact that the Sharks were dead in the water. They were out on their feet. The energy was completely out of the building. The bottom line is we have 3-2 to two lead. We killed off power plays all series long. They can't score on the power play. Get everybody together. Get Explain to them all. We still got the lead. Get in there. And just play like everything's on the line. Kill this power play and we're going back home to play Colorado. Instead, 
Not only does he not call timeout there, he lets them tie the game at three. Not only does he not call timeout there, he lets them take a four to three lead. Now, I thought he had called timeout when it was 3-3, but that was a TV timeout. He called timeout when they were down 4-3 to set up the uh, the six on four, five on four power play, six on four, the last for the 17 seconds. That's when he called timeout. This was what cost us the game, okay? When it first happened, I was blaming all the referees, like, you know, just like all the Saints fans blame the referees. But the bottom line is, is that game went to overtime, the Saints got the ball first. Breeze threw an interception. We got the game to overtime. It's game on from there. You are the better team for 50 minutes. You got to go out and take that game. And they didn't. They played well in overtime. It was pretty close to even. But if you really, really look hard, you're going to see that the Sharks were definitely the better team in overtime. I mean, Flurry made five saves in overtime that... I don't know if any goaltender in the league could have made. And the 6-1 was just a great move in play, and that was game over. But, I mean, so many saves. Flurry, the team, I'll give the team credit. They collected themselves. They came out in overtime. They played 18 minutes hard, but with a minute and 53 to go when they scored the game winner, two minutes before that, I, I told my girl that, we got to get out of this overtime. We're gassed. You could just see we were gassed. And uh, unfortunately, we didn't. And that's why we lost. So for, you know, for everybody out there, it sucks. There's no more hockey for us for five months. I just got finished watching the Capitals lose game seven. And uh, I, I watched, again, there's there's a team. This is where it goes to show you. The Capitals led 2 nothing in that game. They gave up a shorthanded goal to make it two to one. They scored with six minutes to go uh, in the second period to make it three to one, and they just thought the game was over. And they got completely dominated in the third period. It gets to overtime, and the Capitals had six shots on goal in thirty minutes of overtime. That's a period and a half. Yes, they were missing Oshie, but. There's no excuse when you're the Stanley Cup champions, six shots on goal. I mean, the better team won that series. I mean, even though it was two games to nothing in favor of the Capitals, both times Carolina came back and tied it. They went home. Carolina took it to them both times. And except for game five, I, I think Carolina was the better team and they won the series. I think Vegas was the better team against the Sharks. They didn't win the series. I mean, it just, it's unfortunate. It sucks. I, I said before game seven that the winner of the Vegas Sharks series last on Tuesday was going to win the cup. And that is my prediction. As long as Joe Pavelski is able to come back and he doesn't have a concussion where he's going to have to miss the next series because I don't know, think the Sharks can win without him. Uh, and Pavel and and when he knocked those four teeth out in game one, Pavelski, I mean, he was playing in pain the whole series. He did not have a good series, so uh, it should be interesting. But that's my take on what happened to us. We're gonna take some phone calls from some Golden Knights fans, some San Jose Sharks fans, and uh, get their take on the game. And then we're gonna go to a, an amazing interview with seven-time World Series poker. 
champion Billy Baxter. We'll be right back on The Mouthpiece. The Mouthpiece. If you'd like to take part in our phone call segment, you can give us a call at 702-329-0480. And if you're a snowflake or a pussy and you don't want to talk to me, you can email me at mouthpiecepodcast at gmail.com. Also, follow me at the Mouth Mattiso on Twitter for times that our call-in segment will be live. Okay, it's time for your phone calls. Let's hear what our Vegas Golden Knights fans have to say about the hockey game. Light up the lines. Welcome to the mouthpiece. This is Mike. What's up, Mikey? What's up, buddy? Welcome to the mouthpiece. What do you think about the game last night? What do I think? Wait, this sound. Wait, is this Matt Savage? This is Matt Savage, right? It is. Oh, wow. What do you think about the game, Matt, last night, Matt? Uh, It was a great game. Very, very exciting. It was. First, when when, um, Pavelski got knocked down, I was like almost in tears. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy might be dead because the blood was coming out of his mouth. I thought he might have got a skate to the neck. Right. Or any well he actually did get the skate to the neck. If you look at the replay, the when he was falling, a stat he Stassi skate did did cut him. I found that out today, by the way. Then I saw the replay where he I didn't even see the cross check. It looked like he just pushed him and then he fell over Statsney who was chasing the puck. It was like a freakish thing, but there's I don't give a shit. There's no way it should have ever been a five-minute major. So what's your take on this? <laughs> well, I mean, if you look at the rules, the rules say that uh, if it cross-check causes injury, it can be considered a game misconduct or a five-minute major. So, but I think the, the, the cross-check didn't cause had the to injury. Make the decision on the time. Him falling off over Stastny caused the injury. They had to make a decision. Right. Right. They had to make a decision. Uh, at the time, it looked terrible. So I think that's why they made that decision. Right. I think not only were the fans and the Sharks in shock, but I think all the players on the Golden Knights were, like, really worried for him. You know what I'm saying? And then they get assessed this five-minute penalty in which they had already seen the replay three times and saw that he accidentally fell over Stastny. And so now they're aggravated, like, this is terrible, this is terrible. And when they get the the goal in the first eight seconds. I think we lose the game because our coach did not call timeout to regroup the team. Yeah, I mean, that that makes some sense. But again, I think it's one of those things where everybody's a little bit freaked out, like you said. And, uh, mm-hmm. You know, they obviously shouldn't have, should have never given up four goals in five minutes. I no. think that's the bottom line. That's the that's bottom line. They lost the game. And, yeah. and it's uh, when they came back and tied it, I was, yeah, it was <laughs> screaming. It was, I was just, so awesome. It, it just wasn't meant to be. I mean, the, the, the Vegas was up 3-1. I think the series should have been 2-2. Then they go and steal game six, of which we dominated. So I thought it was sitting 3-3 where I thought it should have been. Um, I felt that for 50 minutes and 22 seconds, it was the most complete game in Vegas Golden Knight history. I thought, I thought for, really for... 10 minutes and 22 seconds, it was a, dem- a demolition. It was all that we were two steps faster. They looked slower. 
All our four checks were perfect. Our back checks were perfect. The goaltending was amazing. And I think it, the reason why uh, uh, the fans went crazy is that they, they needed somebody to blame. But when it comes down to it, they got nobody to blame but themselves. Mm. That's the way yeah. I feel today. And that's, uh, mm. that's a good fan right there. You know. yeah, everybody's going crazy online. Right. All the, uh, right. the Golden Knights. The and I was too. About fire the ref. And, yeah, I was know. too. You know, but it's emotion. That's the difference, and it's the same. Uh, it's the same thing with a poker tournament. How many, you've been at many final tables? You've seen teams with big leads. A guy, a big, a person with a big lead, and he takes uh, a, a bad beat that would have won him the championship. And the next thing you know, he loses two, three hands in a row. The other guy takes the chip lead, and boom, 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 it's over. Okay, and momentum I've seen shifts it many times. Many, many, times. many, many times. I even said it on Twitter. It, I felt worse than like when I lost them, got knocked out of the main event uh, in 2005. Mm. I mean, like, like literally, I felt worse because I mean, I was so vested with the team, and I just felt we were robbed. But that was my emotions taking the most of me. The bottom line is, is of the four goals they scored, two of them, everybody fell apart. They all. It wasn't. One person, everybody just kind of like quit playing, um, including Flurry. I mean, Flurry to get two of those goals were awful, you know. And but the people in front of them quit. Nobody, everybody quit diving at pucks, and uh, they gave up four goals. I thought it was amazing when we tied it with four with with the sixth attacker. I I just didn't know where the emotions in the locker room were going to be, you know. Yeah, it was a uh, it was very very exciting to watch, and uh, uh, you know. Having a bit of interest in both sides, you know, as, as, I, yeah. as you know, I do. And my wife's sitting right next to me. What a roller coaster, uh, it right? Was pretty, it was pretty tense. It's pretty tense. It was. And, you, you know, taking it, you know, from that's why, you know, I want to talk to you. And, like, as a San Jose Sharks fan and a Vegas Golden Knight fan, like, I know how I felt watching this game. I couldn't even imagine what you and your family were going through. Like, what was, <laughs> what was your emotions like when they were, when it was three to nothing? You, you you were a hundred percent convinced the game was over, right? At that oh, time, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, I was now, sitting there, and then I was screaming. I was screaming when they were scoring because I was happy. Well, not right. only that, I bet the over. So that right, was really the, good the greatest <laughs> the greatest tweet yesterday was Jason Mercias. He said, "Just imagine if you bet Vegas and under," and I just started laughing. That was just a, a great tweet. You know, poker yeah. poker player. That's what's great during the World Series. Poker tweets are are so great. Well, I'm going to jump off the phone with you. I appreciate the call. And I'm going to watch the rest of this uh, uh, game session with watching. They're, they're all mad at me. They're like, you got to work. I go, I ain't missing this overtime, double overtime game seven. What are you, crazy? <laughs> all right, my man. Talk to you later. All right, buddy. Bye. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Welcome to the mouthpiece. This is Mike. Who's this? Yeah, Mike, this is Joe from Las Vegas. Joe, what's up, buddy? I have an unpopular opinion. Yeah? I believe that it was a good penalty call. Well, how... And Cody Eakin. Well, I mean, it, it was a good penalty. I mean, you could call a penalty, but how do you call a five-minute major? He didn't do anything. It, it the, drew blood. He didn't do anything. He pushed the... Barely pushed him. He fell over Statsny and landed... The, the 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 stats knee caused him to fall on his head and break his almost kill himself. All right, I understand that, but 
You're Newt's uh, being hockey fan, right? What's that? You're yeah. relatively new. I am, but I, I have learned the rules, and I know the rules of a five-minute major. A five-minute oh, well, ma- major is when you you hit somebody with intent to hurt them, and he didn't hit anybody. It would hit somebody to the face. He never hit anybody in the face. He pushed him in the chest barely. He lost his balance. Stastny ran out to try and get the puck, which we had control of, and an undercut Pavelski, who then fell on his head. So there's no way it could ever be a five-minute penalty. That's all. But a play I'd like to, a lot of your listeners will know, in the 1993 conference finals, Wayne Gretzky had a high stick on Doug Gilmore. Mm -hmm. It drew blood. The referees didn't call it. Mm -hmm. So seconds later, Gretzky ties it up. The Kings go on to win the series. Right. So I'm feeling that what I don't like about this penalty being called against the Golden Knights, if Cody Eakin was a top three player with Sidney Crosby, mm-hmm. then no call had been called. Or a Vetchkin. And right. this goes for all sports. Right. Like if Tom Brady, if a person's hand, right. the wind hits them, it's going to be roughing the passer. Yeah. Just like, with this hard, rookie, just, right. just like with this Harden, they call a foul every time he, he gets – anywhere near the the rim it's a joke you know so absolutely yeah. so yeah i understand listen it, you know it's like i was texting with daniel last night and he even said the same thing it's like it's the worst call he's ever seen but but his stupidity on cody eakin i mean like you got a three nothing lead the game's over why are you cross-checking him to the chest i mean also so- on the coach sorry to interrupt yeah. Why didn't he call timeout after hey, giving up the second thank goal? Thank you. This is what I, I talked about on my opening of the sh- of my um, podcast this week. Is th- they want to blame every the, the the refs? They want to blame this. Why don't we blame Gallant, who should have called a timeout when it was three to one? When they scored eight seconds in, they should have brought the team together. The crowd was going crazy. He never called a timeout ever. Not when at first I thought he called it at three three, but that was a TV timeout. He didn't call it till they were down four three and they were setting up a play to tie the game. That's a fucking this loss is on Gallant. Nobody else. That's my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, there's no excuse, you know. Whatever. Anyways, I got another call. Thanks so much for calling and uh, listen to the mouthpiece to all your friends. All right. Have a great night. You too, buddy. Take okay. care. Welcome to the mouthpiece. This is Mike. Hey, uh, I just wanted to give my take on the Golden Knights game. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, last night, I do believe, you know, that Vegas was robbed. Um, yeah, me too. You know, of an, oppor- of an opportunity, you know, to move on to face Colorado. But, you know, I was looking at the play this morning, reviewing it, you know, on the face-off. You know, you look at it and you go, Cody can cross-check him. Like what Marcia so was saying in, in the, you know, post-game right. interview. You know, yeah, okay, if you want to call a cross-check, go ahead and call a cross-check. But at that point, when you when you look at it, he can pushes him and he falls into stacking. He's not even part of the play anymore. Right. I mean, Cody can his... You know, push him, and he's going after the puck. Yeah. And, you know, you see Paul Stastny, and Paul Stastny's not, you know, looking 
No, he's he looking straight forward. You know, it's it just and, sucks. You know, it was the the what's the best thing the parlay of what had to happen for Vegas to lose was just insane. Vegas was playing maybe the best game they played all year. It was total domination. There were the other team had no life, no legs, nothing. And uh, it's just a shame. This guy, it's got to be a, a a a very a cross check that he shouldn't have done. But it was really light a push. He loses his balance, falls over stats, and he gets hit, and well, the rest. You still can't give up four goals on a power play. Yeah. Like, they got no one. That, to I mean, that, that was inexcusable. And I mean, momentum shifts are everything in hockey. So one yeah. that penalty that's called, especially when a guy like Pavelski. Right. You know, goes down and yeah, he's their best player. You know. Yeah, it was it was sad to watch him go down, but when they made that five minute call, I mean, the, I, I even if I went into panic mode watching it because I was going crazy, the referees made that call. You 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 multiply that by the players seeing Pavelski out cold, and they went in, they panicked, they choked. That's it. You know, when it comes down to it, did the call change the game? Yes. But it's just like in the New Orleans Saints game to go to the Super Bowl. The Saints yeah. got the ball first. They had they had a chance to score and win the go to the Super Bowl. And he threw an interception. We had a chance. We made up for it. Luckily, somehow we got to overtime. It was a zero-zero game, and even though we had our chances in overtime, the Sharks were the better team in overtime. I mean, not by a lot, but. But by a, a little, and uh, they deserve to win. Appreciate the call, um, and uh, give me a call any time, and, and tell your friends to download the mouthpiece, and they'll enjoy the the podcast. I appreciate it. All right, thank you. You got it. Bye bye. The mouthpiece. Welcome to the mouthpiece. Today's guest is seven-time World Series of Poker champion and one of my good friends mr billy baxter how's it going billy good how you doing mike uh you know same old same old you know trying to survive dealing with all the crap but everything's you know everything's going pretty good um a lot of questions uh, the poker world really doesn't know about you a lot of things and i think one of the most important things that 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 people in the poker world needs to know is Let's let's talk a little bit about the IRS case that you went and fought for poker players and how you fought the U.S. government to be able to write off our tournament winnings. Let's let's start there. Where how that came about? All right, we can start. That's a good spot as any, I guess, Mike. Yeah. Um, well, what happened was back when I first moved to Las Vegas. You know, not bragging or anything, but. Right. The reality was I won a bunch of poker tournaments, like almost back-to-back. The deuce to seven, I got here in 75. First year I played, I won it. Next year I come second, and the next year I won it again. So the first three years I was here, I come first, second, first. Right. And the year I lost, I lost to Bobby Baldwin in the final. But anyway, uh, having said that, the purpose of saying all that was to let you know that I was winning like, you know, 200000 190000 this, that, and the other back in that time, and I was paying taxes on right. way over a million dollars. Right. And 
So anyway, I paid my tax, and back then that was the highest tax period there ever, there ever was in the United States. Yeah, I know. It was like fifty percent. Yeah. So I had paid my taxes fifty percent, and then all of a sudden the government come in on me and they said, "You know, this is not earned income. You you need to you, this should be another twenty percent. This is just luck. This gambling business." Right. So I talked to my accountant about it, and he says, uh, "Well." You know how the IRS is. If you if you don't win this case, you know, uh, with penalties and interest, you'll be paying them forever. So I recommend you go ahead and pay them the twenty percent, which meant I was paying seventy percent tax on wow. all the money, and we'll sue them for a return of the money. So that's what I did. I paid the other twenty percent, which meant I paid seventy percent of the money I filed wow. on in taxes. And then we sued them for the 20% back. Right. So it winds up, now this is a civil case. This is not a criminal case. Correct. So we, so we wind up going to Reno for the first court part of the court hearing. And once again, I didn't have to be there, but I went anyway. And uh, the IRS man got on the stand and told about how, well, you know, people drop a dollar in the slot machine, a million dollars falls out. You know, all this gambling is just luck. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's like everything. It's just luck. So they should have to pay. It's called passive income. You should have to pay an extra 20%. So Mr. Baxter owes this money. So anyway, he kept talking like that. And then when he got through, I never will forget what the judge said. He, he, he said, well, Mr. So-and-so, whatever his name was, he says, I have to tell you this. I find your argument to be ludicrous. Wow. That's the word. That's too big a word for me, but that's what he said. <laughs> he said... He says, uh, you know, I wish you, just to prove a point, he says, I wish you had some money and could sit down and play Mr. Baxter about a $30,000 freeze out and see just how long you'd last. In fact, I don't think you'd last very long. And, and saying that this gambling is just luck, is, I find that to be a ludicrous argument. He threw him out of court. So we <laughs> leave there, I win. And, but they didn't quit that. Then they, then they uh, appealed to the 8th. Circuit Court of Appeals in California. Mm-hmm. We went over there. Same result. Judge throwed them out. Kind of almost the same wow. answer. So now they threaten me with, well, we're going to go to the United States Supreme Court unless you want to make some kind. I said, well, let's let's go then because we end, we've paid our taxes. I mean, I don't owe any more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, go whatever court you want to go to. So they threatened. They finally, they called me back and said, well, you want to settle this for half the money? I said, no, I want to go to that Supreme Court. Well, anyway, they they threatened that, but they finally they dropped the case right at the doorsteps of the Supreme Court, and it's in the law books right now. If you ever got anything to do, uh, it's William E. Baxter versus the United States of America, and what that did, it allowed you to deduct your losses, of course, against your winnings, and right. you were able to have retirement plans and that sort of thing, which before that you weren't able to have. And uh, anyway, that's pretty much answer. That's you know, what that case was all people, about. I just wanted to bring that up because I want people to understand in this day and age in poker, where they're able to win big poker tournaments and then they end up broke at the end of the year, um, that they're able to write off those taxes because of you. And I want people to re- to you know, respect that how hard you fought back then the the U.S. government. So. You know, I, speaking really... of fighting, I'll tell you what, they kept my money for three years and the, the law and I got paid like that's when the interest rates were the highest. It was like eight, twelve, 
14% those years. Mm-hmm. That's what you had to pay to borrow money at the banks back then. They paid me that kind of interest, and I barely got my money back after four years because of lawyer fees and all. So they kept my money for three or four years, and uh, I got nothing back but barely got my money back. <laughs> all right, well, moving on, you know, everybody wants to hear about so many different stories from the old gambling days, and I got a couple of here I'm going to bring up to you if you want to talk about. Let's talk about the gin rummy game at the Las Vegas Country Club with you, Chip, and Doyle. What was that all about? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Doyle hates this story. I but bet he, that's why we're bringing okay it up. for me to tell it because he knows he can't deny it. <laughs> Let's hear about it. We, we, uh, well, we would go to the golf course every day and play golf. And uh, incidentally, at that t- particular time, Doyle and I were partners in some other endeavors and all right we're going to talk about that after if you want to talk about that so one of my jobs was uh to bet against him on the golf course and uh because we bet against each other all the time but anyway uh we we come off the golf course and he said well let's see how the cards are running today so anyway uh we get out the car we're gonna play seven card knock running chip reese had just come to town He's over there, and uh, he says, hey, I'll tell you what you do. You take him as a partner. I'll play you one hand and him one hand, and we'll play some uh, seven-card not rummy. I said, well, all right, let's play. So we start off playing like two and 4,000 a hand. This is in about 1979, something like that. That's a lot so of anyway, money back in 1979, by the way. So they, um, uh, we start playing, and we get about 40,000, 50,000 winner, rather. And typical Doyle, he said, all right, let's cut them in half, which means double the stakes. <laughs> you know, we were like 25 games winner, and which is 50,000. So now we're playing four and 8,000. The next thing you know, it's 200,000. And uh, he says, uh, he says, oh, my goodness. I says, uh, Doyle, why don't we go home? I says, shit, had you lost enough? He says, oh, God damn it. Every time you get $2 winner, you want to quit. So... <laughs> He said, but I tell you one thing, there's no way you two son of bitches could beat me no way in the world unless you were fucking me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can say all this, but yeah. that's, no, that's I, what I said. No, you say what you want. Oh, that's what he said. Okay. And uh, so we, uh, he says, y'all must be cheating me. So he gets down and he says, I'm going to, y'all got, he thought we had a peep or something in the ceiling, so he wants to strip down. So he gets down on the floor, and at the time he weighed about 400 pounds. He gets down on the floor, and he's feeling all up between Chip's legs and everything. He said, well, this this one's clean. He said, now you get down over here, too. So he checks me out. And uh, that's when the part come in. But after he ch- checked us out, he says, he says, uh, well, y'all must have doped me some kind of way. Said, there ain't no way you see somebody to beat me. That's what he actually said. Um, let's see. There's so many. What about the golf story? Well, wait, go ahead. Tell me some Throw out some stories that I that I don't know. Well, you know, if, if if you watch the movie Casino, there's one golf story I thought was pretty interesting. Back in those days, we used to gamble a lot on golf, and yeah. I was playing a guy named Jack Strauss. In fact, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's the guy that I remember. Him. Uh, he was down, the guy that was down to a chip and a chair. He had one five hundred dollar chip. He won the main event of the World Series. Yeah. We were playing golf every day, and I had a game with him. It was real close, but I knew exactly how he played and how I played. And finally, one day they come up with a, they give me an offer of a game that 
I mean, I just knew I had the nuts. So anyway, we 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 meet at the Sahara's where we play at, and all of a sudden, uh, Tony Spilotro, which I don't know if you know who he is, but he's yeah, he the was, guy that was played he was the by Joe, Joe Pesci, Pesci character in, the movie in Casino. Casino. Yeah, and he was the uh, the mob enforcer out of Chicago, but we didn't know who he was at the time. He was just around town, and he's out there. So when I get ready to make his match, everybody said, "Well, give me a five thousand dollar mass hall, Billy, and give me five, and this one five, and that one five. And me and Doyle were real close friends. Anyway, he's over on the sideline. He says, all right, I'll bet five today, too. But So anyway, Spilatro I said, said on, that? boys, let me get a pencil and paper. So I had to get out a pencil and paper in order to write them all down. Right. There was too many bets. <laughs> so we start, anyway, we go out to play. And I wasn't a good golfer, but I could do what I could do. Well, you got a good and, enough handicap to do what you could do, so it was fair. Right. So right. anyway, we go out, and on the first hole, I bring back the wood, and the uh, almost whipped it, and the ball whipped the ball off out to the right. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I lose the hole. Next next hole, I did the same thing. I whipped the ball it out to the right. It's almost missed. So I knew something was wrong with my club, so I drive back up to the clubhouse. Now, there's 20 golf carts following this match. They all come back up the hill behind me. And uh, anyway, we get up there, and I got to take my clubs into the pro shop, and he looks at them. He said, well, Billy, it looks like a bunch of woodpeckers have been in your your woods. All the uh, the uh, the weights are gone. So in other words, they had taken the weights out of my clubs. Back in those days, you had like a marble ball in there, and that's what gives you the feel of the club when you're taking it back. So, so anyway, who, who, who I, I took say, that well, out? The the guys you were betting with, or or the... yeah, they had done that overnight. We always left our clubs in the in the uh, golf shop. They had taken and they had took the irons and made the seven iron like a four iron, and pitching wedge like a like a six iron, and they had messed them all up. They so you didn't lost, take no chances, right? And well, wait a minute, no, I had come back up. And when I get up there, I said, well, I come back out. I said, boys, well, I didn't coach you guys with with too many cards in your hand you can't win this spot y'all want to let me get some clubs we'll, we can play this match anytime you want to of course naturally they didn't want to give me the spot they, they didn't want to play like that so uh anyway that was the last golf match i ever played i took clubs and threw them in the in the pond and that was the end of my golf career yeah lucky for me they never got me out on the golf course i i had a, enough problems when it came to gambling but um what about the poker games you used to have with the casino owners? Well, those were the best poker games ever was. I well, mean, it's like uh, tell us all about them. It was unbelievable. We had uh, Sid Wyman and Major Riddle, who were the two owners of the Dunes Hotel. That's really how I got into poker. I was really a sports guy, right? And uh, so, anyway, when I get out here. These two guys, both of them in their 70s, they owned the Dunes, which is where the Bellagio is. Mm -hmm. They were partners there. They played $500 ante, 1,002 blind, no limit deuce to sell them every day. Right. And uh, so anyway, the game consisted of those two. Believe it or not, for dessert, a guy named Jimmy Chagra come to town right along then. Dessert, and I he love was it. The, at the time, was one of the biggest drug dealers in the world. So he was in the game, and there was me, Doyle, Bobby Baldwin and a guy named Fred Ferris, who's in the Hall of Fame also, who, in my opinion, was one of the best no-limit players ever was. And uh, anyway, uh, 
I never had played Deuce to seven in my life, but I mean, I couldn't believe it how soft this game was. Right. So anyway, we played that every day, and it was uh, well. This is in the seventies. They talk about the big, big game. This was, without a doubt, the biggest game there ever was. The last game Major played in, he lost two and a half million in one night. Wow! And uh, this the is in 70s. the seventies. So compared compared to today's money. You, these, you can just see these it. kids aren't it's, even it's playing different. big games compared to today's money, and they're playing against the best in the world. I've I've always said in poker, that poker's about playing against the suckers, not about playing the best in the world. But uh, right, right. Well, this was definitely it. There never was a game like this. It was it was like unbelievable. Now, this is something that we're gonna go a little bit of for poker, but it's another great story you can tell me after the Leonard Hagler fight. You were on the front page of the RJ. What was that all about? <laughs> well, I was a big uh, boxing better. I was always right. a big sports better. But anyway, to make a long story short, I went out the morning after the fight. I went out and got the morning newspaper. And you know how the fairs and carnivals, yeah. they do these fake newspapers where you can have anything put on the front of them. I pick up the morning paper. Mm-hmm. Now, I went to the Marvin Hagler-Leonard fight that night. Incidentally, I bet... I actually the went there, too. The last I bet 300000 getting two and a half to one on mm-hmm. the fight. And I went... Uh, so, anyway, uh, I go out the next morning after the fight. I'd won the bet. Mm-hmm. And the morning papers got my picture on the front page of the Las Vegas Sun. It says, local gambler fixes Leonard Hagler fight. <laughs> That's the headline. I said, oh, my God, what the hell's going on here? Did so, somebody put turns this out on it was door? a real paper. So I, oh my I called the attorney general's office on Monday morning. Cause this was Saturday, Saturday, it was Sunday morning. Everybody's closed on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, if you want to come down here and talk to me about it, you can. So I go down there, and I said, what in the hell is going on here? What is, what is this? He said, well, the story is that you – Fix the fight. Uh, you got any comments on that? And I said, well, yeah, I do, as a matter of fact. I said, first off, I consider myself a pretty smart guy. Right. And everybody knows Leonard hadn't fought in three years, and Hagler's got a chin. He could never get knocked out. Right. And if I were going to fix a fight like that, I sure as hell wouldn't fix it for Marvin Hagler to win. I mean, for Sugar Ray Leonard to win. Right. I'd Fix the other way, because you know Hagler ain't going to get knocked out. He's going to get his hands laid, right. raised. And Leonard, he might get knocked out, so you lose your money. So it would be stupid to get a judge or something for, to favor Leonard. Right. And I God, said, I so that's just like for starters. Right. I said, but I don't know anything about this, what the story is all about. But it turned out, the way this story got out was very simple. Mm-hmm. I had a fighter named Roger Mayweather, who is little Floyd Mayweather's uncle yeah. and he was his trainer when he fought and i heard and he became world he, he was my fighter right i and also heard he, that he, you had a chance to be um mayweather's manager and you turn it well, down that's, a, that, that's another story you yeah, you'll like that to one that. too that's a yeah. real real well, nice story i can tell on myself right, finish this the one. greatest business decision i ever made i turned down about 350 million anyway yeah. uh <laughs> getting back to to, to the Leonard thing. Okay. I went to with Roger to fight Parnell Whitaker mm-hmm. in Norfolk, Virginia. Wow. And they had, we insisted on having one local judge, not all from 
back there. So we had they sent one guy from Las Vegas who I didn't know at the time. Mm-hmm. He's still a judge today. His name's Dave Moretti. And we lost the decision back there. And after the fight, we go back to the airport. And sure enough, he's in the waiting on the plane to go back to Vegas too. And he said he come up to me. He said, "Hi, Billy." I says, "I'm sorry about Roger, which he had voted against him." I said, "Well, you know, we lost. What can you do about it?" Mm-hmm. And doing that, he strikes up a conversation. He says, "You know, we used to there used to be fights on the strip every week at Silver Slipper uh, every Wednesday that. night." He says. You know, I'm thinking about doing some promoting. He says, do you think that would do any good? I said, I used to love those fights. Yeah. They used to have them every Wednesday. I went to them. They'd go every Wednesday. And bet me and Tommy Fisher and all of us, we'd make prices on every fight after one round, you know. Some mm-hmm. of them you wouldn't know nothing about. That's why you had to wait till after a round. And, uh, in fact, that's another interesting story about Tommy Fisher, if you, anybody happens to know him. Yeah. But, anyway. Uh, he was a good, we, good uh, guy. Real good guy. I play, the, used to uh, play with him every day. So we, we were talking there about the uh, fights at the Silver Slipper, and he says, well, I, I said, listen, I've got three or four fighters. If you ever want to use any of my fighters, you're welcome to use them. I was just being nice to this guy, Moretti. Mm-hmm. So anyway, evidently, when he gets back to town, he starts, like, name-dropping, mm-hmm. and he tells two or three people that, you know, Billy Baxter said he would help him with the with the fights and this, that, and the other and all. So when the fight's over and Hagler lost, Bob Aram was promoting, and Leonard and Leonard and his manager didn't get along with Aram, so he knew that they wouldn't let him promote the next fight. Right. So, as soon as the fight's over, uh, Bob Aram jumps up and says, "That's it. That's to fix the fight." So, in other words, that's how it got started. That I, but this is how the thing got in the paper. He at the time, the fight gets over at eleven o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. I don't know what time they go to press. Bob Arum evidently got in his car. He was writing a column on Sunday's newspaper about boxing. He drives to the Las Vegas Sun and tells whoever the editor is or whatever, the fight was fixed tonight, and Billy Baxter did it. i find this out later on. He's the one that went down there and did it. I should have sued all of them, but I didn't. Uh-huh. And uh, But anyway, that's how the story got out. Well, they, they brought in the judges from other countries and all, Mm-hmm. and subpoenaed them in here and questioned them, and they said, do you know Billy Baxter? And also I told the told the uh, attorney general, I said, if I had one judge, that wouldn't mean nothing. you got to have two. two ju- one judge can't win a fight, even on a decision. So anyway, he uh, – uh, but so anyway, that's how it wound up in the paper. Bob that's Arum it. went in there and told the editor that I had fixed the fight, and that's, that's how that story got started. But they called in all these judges from out of the country, and they all said, I never heard of no Billy Back. <laughs> and so I was I was uh, cleared. And the reason I didn't sue, I called Brian Screen, Greenspun, uh-huh. who, owned, Greenspun, who yeah. owns the papers, and told him that whenever this got resolved, if I didn't get a front-page uh, apology or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. that I would have sued the paper. And when it, when it come out, they uh, – they gave it you was one. a full apology on the front page when they cleared me of that. So what happened that you turned down this this Floyd money? Well, here's what happened. I got I, I had a this. fighter named Vernon Furs, who was also was world. So you champion. actually managed fighters? Yeah, I had three world champions. That's Vernon Furs is the one that I didn't even Shane know. Mosley put, put a title, oh. and Shane Mosley. Everybody knows who he yeah, was. Everybody knows who he is. Anyway, uh, Vernon was within two years of my contract being over. 
So he got to talking to some people back in Georgia, and they talked to him. They said, well, if you can get out of that contract, we can uh, you, we can get you a lot more money. So naturally, he's wanting to make more money and all, so he tried to get out of the contract, and he, we had an arbitration hearing, and the commission let him out of the uh, contract, and uh, which they made him pay me two hundred and fifty thousand. Of which my comment to that was, if I've done something wrong, why should he have to give me any money at all? Right. And I don't want to go into the part of why they let him out because mm-hmm. it's very racist. Right. And okay. but um, so I'm just going to leave that out. But anyway, uh, they. Uh, he gets out of the contract, and so now I find it about this time I moved back to Georgia. And I said, well, that's it for me. If There's no sense in being in the boxing business if if you got a fighter and uh, you uh, your contract ain't no good after they sign it. So anyway, I'm living in Georgia, and Floyd Mayweather Sr. called me from prison. He was in on a drug charge. Okay. And he said, Billy, he says, you did such a good job with my brother, meaning Roger Mayweather, when he was he was a two time world champion incidentally. Right. I and uh, I took him from five one all the way through. And he uh says, You did such a good job with he said, oh, my son is a really good fighter and he wants to turn pro now. It'd be a really big favor to me if you would manage him for me. And I said, Floyd, I'm just I heard he was a really good fighter, but I'm so disgusted with the boxing business. I'm just gonna uh it's a take pr- a pass. It's a pretty disgusting. Make a long story short, the manager only gets thirty three and a third percent. And <laughs> he made about a billion, so I turned down three hundred and thirty million for nothing. I, he offered him to me. I didn't have to buy him or nothing. He offered him to me for free. Wow. All the stories How's that for all, a bad beat? All the things we've always talked about and me and you have talked about all kinds of crazy stories. I can't believe I never heard this story. This is that's 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 pretty mind boggling. So, um, it's God. a true story. It can be verified. Let me ask you, going back a little bit to poker. So you've won all your, your bracelets in low ball events and you, you know, pre, you're pretty famous for playing low ball. Do you think that, um, deuce to seven is too skillful of a game right now? And that's why they don't play it that much. And do you think that we should go back to the unlimited re-entries in the no limit deuce tournament? Well, there's no doubt about that because, number one, the last year that, uh, I mean, it's not because of me because I didn't got so old, I don't seem like I can win anymore anyway. But it really was a much better tournament. And I, it gives bad I won the last chance. unlimited one I in, in yeah, 2008. They, they, it gives so. the bad players a chance to throw off their money. And if you really call yourself a person that's playing money for a living, you should welcome the fact that they have bad players that get broke and want to buy back in. Absolutely. And, On that uh, tournament, I what's mean, his name? for sure. Uh, David, David Gray, the last time he, when he won it, first prize was like 500,000 or something. Hmm. And, um, but they had so they had the unlimited rebuy, not unlimited for the first four hours. Just for the first, yeah, first, I think it was first three or four levels. Cause I yeah, won the last, like I won the last one and, that had on the memory. And the purpose of, of that is just to let, I mean, I used to play my first buy-in like it was my last money. Me too. Because I believe in the, in the value of, and we, I'll give you a good example of what happened. One time we was in Reno, Nevada, and at the, uh, what they call the Super Bowl of Poker. Amarillo mm-hmm. Slim used to host it. Right. And they, uh, 
I'm watching a basketball game too. If you can tell how I get distracted, it's time. okay. I'm watching anyway, a hockey uh, game while I'm talking to you. So yeah, I am watching it. Yeah, I need the favorite. Who do you, who do Down you need? Down by the... five and a half covering. Oh. Ooh boy. Uh, anyway, uh, we're playing up there. It's a ten thousand dollar buy-in. This is way back in the eighties, and uh, Larry Flint came to the tournament. Mm-hmm. And this will show you just how not very smart a lot of poker players are and what people really they they think about winning a trophy or this, that, and the other when they really – the big picture should be about the money. No shit. That's the reason I never played in all the tournaments at the World Series back in the 70s and 80s because, you know, I didn't – I was playing low ball all the time and I didn't want to encourage Hold'em, to be honest. Right. So I wouldn't even go down there during the World Series. I never even played in the main event until 1994. Right. Whatever I uh, might even been nine. Whatever year Stewie won last time. Well, Stewie the first won time in, I ever yeah, played yeah, the in the first, World Series. Right. <clears throat> but anyway, the uh Larry Flint's there. He loses his ten thousand in about ten minutes. And he says, uh, Slim, I wanna buy back in. And uh, he, Slim says, Larry, you know it's you can't buy in, but for you you can buy in. Well about three of them players jumped up and says Oh, that's not right, Slim. That's not right. You're going to let a man rebuy. There's no rebuy. Uh, the Slim told him, said, listen, if you want your money back, you can have it back now. But this man can buy in as long as he wants. <laughs> anyway, he lost 40000 before, after, but he lost 40000 naturally. And uh, so my point is, you know, you got to do what's smart for business. And Absolutely. I think letting people rebuy is a good thing. Not a, And that business about... Oh, they're trying to buy a bracelet, this, yeah. that, and the other. Well, let them buy it then. I don't think it, yeah, but, it don't you know, really mean that much I, anymore anyway. I mean, going back, I don't mind, like, the rebuys, and I, but I do, I, I'm really against re-entry tournaments. Like, now they're, 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 they're you could re-enter, and then they juice you more, and, and, uh. I'm for like rebuys in certain tournaments, but especially the Deuce of Seven. I think it's it it was like part of the um, the history of of World, the World Series. I I think the five Ks unlimited reentries because I in 2008 I was in one buy-in for five thousand, and then I the only reason why I did the add-on at the end of the re-entry, which was four hours, I think, like you said, was just so I, because I had a, a pretty good chip lead at the time. I didn't want to have them be able to totally catch up to me. So I was in 10,000 in that tournament, but shit, Tom Dwan was in 100,000. Daniel was in 100,000. You remember that last turn in 2000? I do. I Daniel, some of them about 17 times. I think Phil Ivey was the one. He was in 100. Yeah. I know I know Todd Brunson had like two hundred thousand at the end of the first level. Right. Something like that. Something silly. Yeah, I, I had a yeah, I, and the thing is is I understand like with rebuys if if you get that table where somebody's just going all in and rebuying a lot, it gives another person an edge. So I would like to see rebuys put back in the world series not re-entries where they get to juice them again so you go bro back they see you're in the tournament and you rebuy at the cage but you they don't juice you on rebuys and now you get moved to a different table and they keep going broke this way somebody can't get like you said todd had two hundred thousand at the first level because 
because uh, Ivy w- and was going crazy. And Ivy just get, would get his hand moving and moving and moving. Yeah. So just trying to get a hold of chips. But you know something? What what I think is this: the main thing is that uh, with the with the rebounds, you just need to. They, if they would let me structure that thing, I could fix it. That should be a, a, a close to a million dollar tournament, and oh, everybody absolutely. plays it now. It would be one of the best tournaments, and now it's one of. The, in fact, the reason none of the good players even come anymore, it's got so small. There's no point in going. I, I didn't there's play no it last no year more. for the first time, and like. Eight years, and I be I was killing the 10k buy-ins. It's just like it, even though they they put a one optional re-entry into it. I mean, by the time it get the the, the limits were high, and, and you were still in, the, it's just one of the smallest tournaments. You're right; it's one of the smallest 10k tournaments. It's, it's, it's just so you it's people play it just because they like the game, right? But it's not uh, it's not a really trying to make money because it's so. One of the worst. Yeah, and you don't have any dead money in it anymore. That's why I think they should go back to 5K instead of 10K and, and just have it lo- unlimited re- Listen, rebuys. It be 5K, 5K is very simple. 5K, uh, four hours, four hours. you right. play four hours of rebuys, right. and then you can add, add on a, a double add on at the end, which is ten mm-hmm. more down, which puts everybody in that really wants to play about thirty-five thousand. Right, it makes it a tournament again. I mean, if you go broke a few times, it puts you in about thirty-five thousand. Right, and uh, and the prize will be a big prize. It'll be worth playing. So it'll be fun, a lot more fun. And then the tournament. Once, see, I always thought about it like when the rebuy period is over, then the tournament begins. Right, it's always been that starts. way. Yeah, it's always been that way. And and in that tournament, it, because it's basically a tournament where, you know, the people that play it have a lot of money, and a lot of people who also aren't that good that have a lot of money like to gamble. Um, I think to make that tournament really a great tournament again, instead of just beating our heads against all the best players, I think I think they should go back to five thousand buy-in and five five thousand. Well, in fact, I can give you a list of players. They don't even come around anymore. Doyle Brunson. Uh, uh, Lyle Berman loves it. Right. And there was all those guys. They never even think about going over there no more. Yeah. I mean, Doyle played it last year because it was his last tournament. He said he was going to play at the World Series, so he played it. But he hadn't played it in a few years before that, and he never missed that tournament. Right, so, right. Uh, you know, I, I, I definitely understand where you come from there. Um, going, You know, going off on a little bit of um, sports betting, I mean um, – I know that you were always a sports better way before you were a poker player. And I, I want you to kind of elaborate on how hard it is to win a bet in this day and age compared to when you were one of the best sports bettors in the world. Well, you know what? That, that's a tricky question that you could give two different answers to. Okay. And i tell you the truth. Uh, I actually think the truth of the matter is that the the answer I'm going to give you is the opposite of what you don't think it is. Okay. I think the guys that made the line before, mm-hmm. the good ones, mm-hmm. were but the line was better then than it is now. And the way I base that on is this: now you go into the Bellagio or one of these big high rolling places mm-hmm. and try to bet on a ball game, unless you're a casino customer. They want to give you three thousand or something. Yeah, it's when true. I came here in nineteen seventy five, you could bet fifty thousand on a game anywhere. And the yeah. reason was 
a guy named Bob Martin put the line up mm-hmm. on Sunday night, backed it with his own money, and uh, he was the best ever. I'm watching this game. It's down to a 24-point lead, Who, who's and I'm playing? getting nervous. Who, 24? Who's playing? Milwaukee and Detroit. It's on TV. Milwaukee's up by only 24? What'd you lay, 15? Yeah, they were up by 34 just two minutes What'd ago. What'd you lay, 15? I laid 13. 13. You'll be all right. Let's hope so. Like anyway, uh, the uh, see, now they pay for the land service. The people that make the land, you know what they do? There's another three. I tell you what, I've been backdoored like this before. It's down to 21. You'll be all right. Hey, speaking of, like, bad beats, I mean, can you – you've took a million of them. Is there any – well, shit, uh, we took a couple of them together that are really scary. But is there any one or two that – really stand out to you the ones that you know i can't you, even tell you the games but i will give you the two i'll just go i won't go back any i'll give you the two this year okay okay i can research the games and you can find them. there were two games this year where the team you the kneel on the ball I it's like 20 or 30 seconds uh, all they got to do is kneel on the ball and i lost them both the other team scored touchdowns after the other team could kneel on the ball, you'll have to research it out which games they were. Wow. All they got, but instead they run in the line and fumble, and the other team scored touchdowns yeah. in two games this year. So there, if you can get any tougher than that, yeah. I don't know what it can be. When I you, mean, when you can t- just snap the ball to the center and you win. I mean, we've had some fun sweating games, and I'll never forget. But if I'm you like, want to go with some hard beats before while I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Many, many years ago, I don't remember what it was. I'm pretty sure it was Alabama. Yeah. I met over 38 and a half in a football game, and it was 38 to nothing at the half. It wound up 38 to nothing. I thought that was pretty bad. <laughs> uh, I remember the one, I mean, one that we had a big bet on uh, that we were betting. Uh, it was, they show it on Bad Beats on ESPN. Every time that Scott Van Pelt gets on there, I'm like, damn, that was one of my biggest bets ever and that was we had uh northwestern versus ohio state you remember this game we were getting uh four and a half we had the ball. i know the great game you're fixing to talk about we had the ball with 34 seconds to go and somehow we were up four getting seven and a half and we found a way to lose this game in regulation oh, no doubt about it here's a one thing that I'll, I'll say. So, you know, most of your life, things have been pretty easy. Most of my life, things have been pretty easy. Um, you know, I got sick four years ago, and you know, and, and people don't really, I don't want to bring it up about what happened with your son and everything, but could you have ever imagined what you've been through the last six years could have ever happened to you? Not really, but you know, you just, it's kind of like poker. You got to play the hand you get dealt and- Right. I'm really uh, pr- proud of my son. The fact Me too. That, believe it or not, he's doing better now than ever. He's just uh, got a good attitude. Shows you what uh, it's incredible human body. What you want to do? What you you got to find a purpose to to live. And uh, he's found it. You know what it is? It's betting on ball games. Yeah, he bets every day now. 
And uh, when you're paralyzed and on the back, on land on your back, that's a pretty good pastime. Yeah, and I, and you know I don't like to bring up the negatives, you know, because me and Nathan was always good friends, and we had life by the balls, and every, you know, we partied, we probably did things we shouldn't have done, and you know, uh, who knows? You know, it's, it's sad what what happened to him, but you know, he he might have been dead if. He didn't get paralyzed. You know, you have to take the sure, good out sure. of things. You Absolutely. Know? We, 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 you always have to look at the good things and take the best out of things in life. And I think that's what I, I t- try and tell everybody. And, um, you know, like I, I had a question. was like for the new generation of poker, is there any advice you'd give these, these younger generation of poker players? Well, one thing I would do is this. I got some good advice when I was very young. You know, gambling money is, I've never seen anybody – well, I've seen a few people. I shouldn't say that, but you can only get a certain to a certain height in gambling. I'm talking about outside gambling, not owning a casino. Correct. And you can only get so tall, so to speak. Right. Where in business, you know, it's unlimited now. So my suggestion is this. If you're really good at poker and make money, that's fine. That can be – but pay your taxes which is a, a good choice because the reason for that is you can take the money that you're earning and invest it in other things, and you have a chance to get a hold of a lot of money. Right. Just relying on what you win will only get you so far. So I would say, you know, you've you got to be an all-around person. Make your money gambling. That's fine. But find ways to invest it, which will get you some return on your money and some security. That's uh, great advice because it's one of the biggest mistakes I made. I used people used to say, Mike, what do you what do you do with all the money you make playing poker? And I said, What do you mean? What do I do? I play higher. What do you think I do? You know, and unfortunately, uh, you know, people got better, and I made a lot of mistakes. And you know, you're good friends with me. You know about all the mistakes I made, and the only thing you can do is learn from them. And that's that's just great advice to give people. You know. If you make a score, make big money in poker, put a certain amount away that where you could get money working for you because gambling's always going to be up and down and and it's pretty it's always pretty tough to deal with. So, I'm going to give you a couple of questions. I'm going to read one to you and then I'm going to play one that somebody called in to ask you about and you can answer that. Sure. Um this is from Joey Bayer. He said to ask you um, what is the best and worst percentage of wins you've had in the NFL? Experts claim over 60% is not sustainable. Do you agree? I totally agree. It's ridiculous to people to say, I hear these uh, touts that say that and they pick so much percentage and all. Right. That's ridiculous. Right. I mean, if you can pick, anybody can pick 60%. That's my hat's on to them. God bless you. Tremendous percentage, and I right. wish I could do that. Right. I try to get by. If I could get 57, 58, which is what I shoot at, right. about what I do probably. Uh, and I think I'm pretty good with the NFL. Right. I've been doing it all my life, and I'm still playing, so I guess I'm winner to it. Right. But uh, The only losing streaks I'm, you ever had was when I, when I started. I know. Yeah. What's that, Mike? I said the only losing streaks you ever had is when I when when I when I started yeah, yeah, jumping I on. Yeah, yeah. Hard hard luck, Mike, with me. <laughs> I tell people that it's like I, I I blame myself for everything. I mean, there was even a time. I mean, like for a while, like I blame myself what happened to Nathan. I'm like, here's my good buddy Billy. Nobody would help me out. My good buddy Billy helps me out. Goes to Bermuda and says, Mike, 
If I die in the Bermuda Triangle, enjoy it. And then the next thing, three days later, what, you know, the thing happened to, to Nathan. I'm like, how does this happen? How does the only guy, only one of my friends that were there for me, and then and then, then his son gets paralyzed on some ridiculous bullshit. I blame myself for being bad luck. So, But I, I, know, I know it wasn't my fault, but, you know, I, I care so much about you and your family. I love your family. I love Julie. I love Nathan. So, you know, I, you, I wear my heart on my sleeve, so I take everything personal, you know. So, you know, I that, know that. that's Thanks, how that man. is. But uh, now we're going to play to you one other question, and I haven't heard it yet, so you can answer it after you hear it. Go ahead. All right. Yeah. Hey, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. I got a couple of questions here um, for Billy Baxter. One, one for Billy Baxter. What does he think about the way poker has changed? I remember playing with him at the Diamond Jim Brady tournament at bicycle, the Bicycle Club when George Hardy owned it in the 80s. And uh, the way poker has changed, it's, it's really not even that enjoyable anymore. But um, I wanted to ask him about that, and I wanted to ask you, can you comment? Well, you know, poker is like everything else. Uh, it evolves to different games, different things, and... Uh, you know, people have gotten a lot better. The, the, I'll put it this way. The people that played when I was young mm-hmm. were not as educated, I'll put it that way, right, or good word. As, as the players of today. These, you'd be amazed at how smart some of these young kids are. Oh, they great. have a degree in uh, physics from Stanford University and decide that uh, it's too boring for them. They want to play poker. Yeah. We're talking about some really smart people. Yeah. And they spend hours and hours with their friends they go out to dinner they talk 10 hours at night about what they did that day and how they played and all back i just always played by the seat of my pants and most of the players did back in my day it was like uh it's just uh the players are more talented now they really are yeah they are and uh but there's one little element i find that something that's missing i'll tell you what i think it is i don't think the gamblers of today, the tournament players and all, mm-hmm. could could have played with the with the good players at the games that they played for real money. I think that the people that uh, they would disagree now that they have the high rollers and all, but I think uh, there's what I call good tournament players and there's good cash players. And the biggest majority of your players today, they're they're good. They're good uh, Tournament for tournaments, play. but they're not very good for cash. Yeah. But that's changing. Now that they've started, I mean, I think most of these guys in these high rollers are putting up their own money, but I really don't know. I'm not around it that yeah. much to really know if they I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say, eh, wrong answer. But um there's a lot that put up their own, but there's there's a lot of shady shit with it. But well that's for another show. Um but uh, yeah, so I I I I'll answer to what Billy says too. Um, I think that there's a lot more talented people, um, but I'll, I do agree. Um, so many of the people playing tournaments now are staked, and they got backers. And I mean, if you got to put up your own money, you know, c- can they really sit down? And put a hundred, two hundred thousand. How many people are really going to sit down with a hundred, two hundred thousand in cash game, and uh, be willing to lose it? And uh, nowadays, um, the, it seems like the players, you know, most of them tournament players, they, they, uh, they have 
backpackers, stakers, and there's a lot of people playing their own. Don't get me wrong, but um, uh, it's uh, it is a good question. As good as all all these people are, are they are they good enough or willing to 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 ante up against anybody in the biggest games? And and I'm gonna say with you, go agree with you with your answer. Probably not. You know, so. Well, this is well. I mean, I really want if I really wanted to give a good answer to that, I could call out some people and and just tell you some people that are superstars in the poker world that never won a pot in their whole life when they played for cash. Well, t- so br- I, name them. I wouldn't. I name them. I name them all the time. I name them. I wouldn't. But anyway, I'm gonna get off this yeah. phone for you. You know what? I res- you know what? I'll always say about you, Billy, and. Gosh darn it, I don't care what anybody says. You got a heart of gold. I don't believe you can ever steal a quarter from anybody. I think you're one of the more honorable people in poker. I think you're one of the most honorable human beings I've ever met. I think uh, you literally try and help people as much as you can. And um, honest to God, I'm glad to call you my friend. And uh, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. So I well, appreciate thanks, you. Mike. It was a pleasure to be on your show. And yeah. uh, I'll, uh, you caught me doing the middle of a ball game. It's so all I don't good. Know my, my, my answers might have been really rambling because I was watching No, it was great. This is anyway. a, a great interview. The Mouthpiece. I hope you enjoyed episode five of The Mouthpiece. Tune in next week. You never know what you're going to hear. The controversies, the calls, the interviews, the greatest podcast around here on The Mouthpiece. The mouthpiece.